Yeah, so that's, that's part two of We Are Christ Followers, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, I understand, though I'm not a big fan, that there is a huge game today. Is that, is that today? Yeah. Well, we do have some fans. And as I was uh, reading over this last night, I was thinking, why is there so much hoopla about the Super Bowl? And so little hoopla about going to church on Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, the guy that has been the uh, developer, if you will, of the Alpha course, which we run on Wednesday nights here, Nicky Gumble. he's the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London. He said, if I can remember this correctly, that football is where 100,000 people desperately in need of exercise are watching 22 people desperately in need of a rest. And the whole time they're cheering and yelling and screaming and arms up in the air and patting each other on the back. And, but that's okay because that's football and it's really important. But what do we do at church? sit here with our hands in our pockets. Walt had some great songs today that <laughs> you just want to do this, you know? And uh, so I just want to try an experiment. Well, I hadn't planned this, but would you, would you raise one hand up in the air? Just one hand up in the air. So nobody's got rotator cuff problems or anything like that. How about the other can get two? Wow. Wow. Well, maybe, maybe the next time we sing, we could do a little of this. I'm not saying far out crazy, but maybe a little bit of this, because this is more important than the Super Bowl. Who cares about the Steelers anyway? Um, <laughs> and I think I'll take care of this now since I'm kind of, I kind of broke the train of thought, but um, in a little while we will ask you to come up and there'll be some baskets up here uh, on these tables. And there's a connect card in your chair or in the seat back in front of you. And if you would, fill one of these out, particularly if you're a new person. If you've been here before, all we need is just your name. Unless you would like to leave us a prayer request or something like that, we'll be happy to pr pray for that this week. There's also in there or on the seats uh, a yellow card that is your registration for Alpha. We had 50 adults at Alpha this past week and I think eight children. So we, we, were, we were getting pretty full, but we have room for more. And you can join Alpha for the next two weeks. After that, the, the course is closed for this time around. And then, of course, there's an offering envelope that um, is there as well. And at at the appropriate time, you can come up and drop those three things in the basket and get them out of your hands. But you can be preparing those while I'm talking because I'm sure you'd rather find something else to do. <laughs> we are talking about Christ followers. We are, we are Christ followers, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. Finish up this series this week on, on our DNA. We are Christ followers. And I want to begin by looking at... Um, um, maybe very quickly, what we, what we talked about last week. We said that 
real Christianity has supernatural power. And we spoke almost all week last week about the power of the Holy Spirit. Not near enough, but we spent all of our time last week on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will be looking at the Holy Spirit a lot more over coming weeks and months and, and really throughout the, the life of Renovation Church because we are about the demonstration of the Spirit's power. But today we want to talk about the other part of the equation of our real DNA at Renovation, and that is the proclamation of God's Word. We proclaim and demonstrate. So I think we're going to start by uh, covering something that we covered last week. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bibles with you, please get those out and turn to that passage, Acts 2. If not, I think we'll have it on the screen uh, for you. We believe that this is God's Word. We believe that it's true and infallible. And we believe that it's the only rule for everything in our lives, all of our faith and all of our practices. Listen to the reading of God's Word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they ask, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? That just means they were country bumpkins. They had no education. They were people from Galilee up on the lake. They were fishermen, and those people didn't have any sort of education training at all. Um, yet they were speaking in other languages. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. I guess they were, weren't they? Amazed and perplexed. Perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. <laughs> so, we're looking at the DNA of a Christ follower and of the church. It's, the, it's one and the same. And today, we're, the first thing we're going to look at is real Christianity offers life-changing, renovating truth. Truth. the truth that transforms lives, that renovates lives. Let me tell you what we don't offer here at Renovation Church. We don't offer pop psychology. We don't offer self-help. We don't offer little moralisms or inspirations. What we do offer here is the gospel. It's God's word that changes and renovates, nothing else. In John 8, 32, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth 
will set you free. We even sang about that this morning. And those of you that have been in the last two Alpha uh, meetings, remember that that first meeting, Nikki Gumbel talked about John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Only the truth will and can set you free. And until you know the truth about yourself, until you know the truth about God, until you know the truth about life and death and what really matters in life, until you know the truth about every area in your life, you're in bondage. The Greek word is doulos. Doulos, it means bondservant. It means someone in chains. Someone tied up in chains. We sang about chain breaker today. That is the picture of what we're talking about. You're enslaved. You're a slave to culture. You're a slave to the expectations of other people. You're a slave to people's approval. You're a slave to peer pressure, one of the strongest uh, enslavements. You're a slave to habits and addictions and all other kinds of things. And... It is the truth that sets you free from that enslavement, whatever that enslavement might be. The church is, is the one who offers the truth of God. And you can't get it anywhere else. It's transforming, life-changing, renovating truth. There's no other organization, no other group of people that has truth. Not the truth that says, you're past. Whatever it holds can be forgiven. You have a purpose for living your life. You'll never, never see death. You can have a home, an eternal home, in heaven. Where else are you going to hear that? You're not going to hear it on the TV. You're not going to hear it from many of your friends. You're not going to read it in the newspaper. Nowhere else. No other message changes lives like the good news of Jesus Christ. There's no message that I can think of that changes a guy from being a wife beater to being a responsible, loving, caring husband when he comes face to face with the truth of the Word of God. He's got to change. People change when they're faced with that truth. Now, one of the key characters in, in this first section of the, of the book of Acts is a guy named Peter. And Peter is like a lot of us. Peter had more mouth than he really needed to have. He spoke when he shouldn't have spoken. And he always said what he shouldn't have said. And Jesus called him a few times on it. Uh, Peter, for those of you that may know a little bit of the story, is the one that had denied that he even knew Jesus. Three times he did that on the night before he was crucified. This same Peter is one that's locked up in the room, in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit comes. And later in Acts, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at this in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Peter gives the very first Christian sermon on the very first day of the very first church. And it goes like this. 
Remember that, that we just closed that last section with they've had too much wine. They're doing crazy things here. They must have had too much wine. I can't think of any other reason that they'd be acting like this. So here's Peter's sermon, beginning at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet, one of the last ones that spoke before the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament times. Joel's book is only three chapters long, three little short chapters long. Um, and I would encourage you maybe today or sometime this week to pick up your Bible and read the book of Joel. But Peter's going to quote Joel for us here. Joel says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Doesn't matter about gender. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Doesn't matter about age. Even on my servants, both men and women, doesn't matter about social status or economic standing. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire will billow of smoke and sun will be turned, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Listen to this verse. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not some of them. Everyone. And everyone includes you and me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you, are, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David, now this is King David, who was one of the kings of, of, uh, sorry to say Egypt, of Israel. He's the, he's the guy that wrote the book of Psalms, most of the book of Psalms. He's credited with that. Um, David said this about uh, Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently, Peter goes on, that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, 
he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Wasn't the wine. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord, this is Christ, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make uh, your enemies a footstool of your, for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So that's Peter's sermon, a powerful sermon it was. And I, I wish, as, as I read through this this week, we could do a whole series on Peter's sermon. There's just so much stuff in there that, that we need to un, un, unlock and, and talk about, but we don't have that luxury in this part of our, of our uh, series. So maybe sometime in the future we'll come back to Peter's sermon and look at it almost phrase by phrase with you. But what I want you to see is how does that relate to your life? What's that, what's that sermon that Peter preached got to do with your life? It's like the so what? So what? How am I going to use that tomorrow? Monday morning. What does that mean? Well, you'll never understand what God is doing in your life until you know how God has worked in the lives of other people in the past. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we study church history. Sometimes you don't have the slightest idea that God's even working in your life until you know what he's done in the lives of other people in the past. And then you go, oh, I see, I see. That's how God does it. I see his plan. And it sometimes follows a pattern like this, and I'm going to have to give credit to to uh, a pastor on the West Coast named Rick Warren for this, for this little uh, um, alliterative uh, pattern here. First of all, you get a dream. Then secondly, you make the decision on that dream. Third, there's a delay. Then there's the difficulty. And then there's the dead end. And finally, there's the deliverance. So you have an idea, you have a dream, it comes to you. God put it in your mind, but you think it just dropped in out of the sky or something. Wow, that was, that was a pretty good idea. Let me think about that one, and I might even pray about it a little bit, and then I make the decision that I am going to act on that dream, whatever that dream might be. And usually, after that takes place, there's a delay. There's that long pause when you're thinking, uh, was that the right 
choice to make or maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, that's where patience comes in. Then there's difficulty that enters into the, into the pattern. All sorts of little things, roadblocks are in the way, you know? And you have to keep asking yourself, is this really what God wants me to do? That's when we have to be on our knees with our faces in his face saying, look, I thought you told me to do this. Now, what do you really want me to do? Then there's the dead end where it looks like all hope is gone. There's just no way out of this. And then finally, God acts. And I think he does this to build our faith. I think that's a faith builder for us. Uh, God works this way, we know for sure, because we see it in, in many of the people in the Bible. This is the way he worked in Abraham's life. This is the way he worked in Moses' life. This is the way he worked in David's life. And this is the way he worked in just about everybody's life that we can look at in the Bible. That same pattern. And that's how he's worked in the brief history of this little Renovation Church. We've had that same pattern of development. So you know that when you hit the delay, you can say, ah, that's no big problem. That's just the way God does it. I, that's nothing to worry about. And when you hit the difficulty in your life or when you hit that seeming dead end, when it's time to give up, you're not freaking out because you know that's how God works. You know to anticipate that. And again, all this is, happens so that it'll build up our faith. And I think in a lot of our cases, build up our patience too. Because that's one of our short suits in, in most of the time. Also, Peter shares the gospel in, in this passage that we looked at in this first sermon. So what is the gospel? We throw that word around. We know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... We call those the Gospels in the Bible. But what is the Gospel? Well, the Gospel is just good news. That's literally what the word means. Gospel means good news. So here's very quickly the eight parts of the Gospel that Peter shares in, in here. And you can mark... Well, I think we even have them on maybe your sheets too. Uh, the eight parts of the Gospel. First, Jesus is God and his miracles prove it. Verse 22. Verse 23, Jesus died on the cross. Verse 24 and, and you know, really after that, uh, God raised Jesus back to life. Verse 26, that act gives us gladness and joy and hope. Hope for the future. God sent his Holy Spirit from heaven. Verses 33 through 35. We must repent and be baptized. There's something that we have to do, and that's repent and be baptized. That's verses 36 through 38. We, after that act, will be given the Holy Spirit, verses 38 and 39. And then we must live differently from the rest of the world. We're called to live a renovated and transformed life. We're called to be different. I don't mean we're different. I just mean different. The things we care about are different. You don't care whether the Steelers win or not. It doesn't matter, you know? We're, we're on to more important things in life. So no wonder they call it good news. That's the good news of the gospel. 
And what happens when you teach this gospel message to people? Well, we go back to the scripture and look at verse 41 right after that. Those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the church became a megachurch on the first day. 3,000 people. And in the study of, of church history, we, we learned that in the next 25 years after that, the church in Jerusalem grew from those 3,000 to over 100,000 people, just in the city of Jerusalem. That's some powerful teaching. That's some good news. Now, all that's well and good, but I want to go back to our point. Our DNA is based on the Bible, on the gospel, not on popular opinion or on psych psychology. Dr. Phil doesn't need to come and talk to us on Sunday mornings here. Neither does Oprah. We don't need either one of those folks. It's based on God's word. That's why the church proclaimed the truth and demonstrated the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through the truth that we can do those things. The second part of the, of the uh, uh, passage that we looked at today deals with uh, the real, that real Christ followers make generous sacrifices. Real Christ followers make generous sacrifices. Look at Acts 2, 44 through 45. It says this, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now that is a pretty radical way of living. Radical for them, radical for us. And we can see right there in that one little passage one of the major differences in the early church and in the church today. I've heard people say a lot of times that, that the early Christians lived in communities and they practiced communism. But that's not true. That's absolutely not the truth. Let, let me uh, show you why I think it's not the truth. First of all, capitalism in a nutshell says... What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it and protect it. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it and protect it. Communism says, what's yours is mine, and I have a right to take it. As the state, I can take it away from you, and I can redistribute it to everybody else. That's forced charity. That's not what we're talking about here in Acts 2. So capitalism... What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. And communism, what's yours is mine, and it belongs to the state, and we're going to redistribute it the way we want to. But Christianity, listen to this. Christianity says, what's mine is really God's, and I'm more than willing to share it with whoever needs it. You see the difference? It's voluntary. It's not taxed. It's not forced. It's voluntary. It's done not through legalism or law. It's done out of love. Generous and sacrificial love. And this passage says that they were filled, joy-filled, and generous. Generosity always. I can't think of a case. Generosity always produces joy. Have you ever noticed that generous people are joyful people? Well, generous 
Christ followers are joyous Christ followers. And generous churches are joyous churches. I forgot last week, and some of, some of, the, some of you were way ahead of me, and um, I don't have one of them here, but your little handouts that you're, that you're making your notes in, on the back of that, I have a local mission opportunity. And I meant to bring this up last week, and I apologize. We can do it this week for next week, though. There's a little uh, Pentecostal church right back behind here, St. Delight's Pentecostal Holiness Church. Charles Randall is the pastor there. He's a great friend of mine. I've known Charles for 15, 20 years, and we've done work together in the community. He tells me that one of their members in their church, <clears throat> a single, not a single lady, but um, divorced lady, um, their house burned. She has three children. Their house burned before Christmas. So she moved in with her sister into her house. The week after Christmas, the sister's house burned, and they've lost everything, absolutely everything that they have. And I said, Charles, what can we do? We need to, we need to be doing something as a church. We need to be reaching out to the community. We need to start on the, on the uh, path of being a local missions church as well as a foreign missions church. Can we would you accept something from us that we could give to them? And, and so that's where that list came from that you see on the back of your sheet there. So what, I'm, I'm not asking you to spend a lot of money or time or anything else, but if you could, next week when you come, bring one of those items, just one item. I mean, we got a lot of people in here. Just bring, just pick out one item and bring it. God's going to take care of who's going to bring what so that we don't get 55 sheets He'll take care of all that, but just bring an item next week that we can give to this family that has absolutely nothing. We tore carpet out of these two rooms back here and the rooms upstairs when we moved in. The same carpet that's on the floor here. They came over and got that to use in their trailer that they have purchased as a church for this family. So there's a need there, and we need to be filling that need. We have, we can give to people that don't have. That, it works that way. Okay, here's my question for you as we close. Do you think if we went back to the original New Testament type of church, not with all the fake stuff, but with real, honest-to-goodness, genuine Christianity that has supernatural power, where you see miracles happening week after week, day after day, the kind of Christianity that speaks in everybody's own language, where you can speak to people that you know best in the language that, that you com communicate with them in on a daily basis, and everybody uses their gifts. Women's gifts are valued and used, and men's gifts are valued and used, and young people's gifts are valued and used. Even the children's gifts are valued and used, and the old and the young Everybody works together and their gifts are used. And, and we used, uh, and, and we offer life-changing truths that set people free as a church. Freedom from habits and hurts and hang-ups. And we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and we provide loving support for each other because we're a family and we stick together like brothers and sisters, and we treat all elderly as fathers and mothers, and we care for one another, genuinely care for one another. And when we get together for worship, we, we celebrate, we don't commiserate, and we have a good time, and we have a joyful party, and we enjoy God's grace, and we generously sacrifice of what we have for each other and for our church and for the kingdom of God. Do you think if we really did those things, if we really, really did those things, that we could reach more people for Jesus? Without a doubt, without a doubt we could. That's the church that's worth dying for. Each one of these... Uh, apostles that we read about except for John died for their faith. Every last one of them was willing to die for that church. And what's more, that's the church that's worth living for. A lot of times it's easier to die for a cause than it is to live for a cause. If you live for a cause, you have to take some grief from time to time. If you die for a cause, it's kind of over and, and done with. But that's the kind of church that's worth living for. I'm going to take you back to the first section of Scripture that we looked at real quickly here. It's Acts 1, verse 8. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His witnesses... Are we demonstrating what we talk about on Sunday mornings? Are we living it out? Are our lives changed so, so that the folks that we interact with can see a difference, know that something di different is going on, and ask, you know, what is it? You act differently. You talk differently. You, you, you know, what's, what's changed in your life? And then we can tell them. We take this verse very seriously here at renovation. And I think when God looks down on his people and he sees that there's a group of people that are proclaiming his word and doing the acts that he has told us to do throughout the Bible, in other words, we're obedient to what he says, I think that's where he pours his power. He's very willing to pour out his power today. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church like that? Wouldn't you like to live for a church like that? We're going to start next week uh, a series called Paradox. We're going to look at how Jesus turned the world inside out and upside down when he came and started teaching. It'll run for about four or five weeks, maybe six weeks, who knows, uh, because uh, I'll, do, I'll do a couple of the, the messages in the series. Walt's going to do at least one, and my wife Karen will do at least one in this series. We want to look at what Jesus did. There's those little bracelets that say, what would, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? We don't have a clue what Jesus would do. I mean, if, we, if, we, if we were to choose something, it would probably be the exact opposite of what he did, so we want to look at what he did and pattern our lives 
after what he did. And we're going to start that next week and, and just see, uh, see where it takes us. As you guys come up, I'd like to pray with them here. God, this morning I feel like I need to pray for protection for this group, for uh, all of us in this family of God that we call Renovation Church. I'd like to pray for protection over, over finances in people's lives. I'd like to pray for protection of the families, protection of marriages, protection of our children, protection of our jobs, of health issues. Help us to remember the truth, Lord, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free from the bondage of life. I don't know what kind of slavery we're in here as individuals, but um, I feel that many of us are tied up. Many of us are held uh, against our wills, if you, if you think of it that way. And only you can set us free. Lord, come today. Send your Holy Spirit to free us up from the bondage of, to slavery. We wait to see how you're going to act in our lives today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.